Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, anthology time is here. That's right, we're talking about Amelia, part of Trilogy of Terror, on Kill by Kill Bite Size. Once again, from a high rise in the middle of Los Angeles somewhere, this is the Kill by Kill podcast where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters, or at least that's what we usually do, because it's an off week, we've decided to do another little mini-series where we try an experiment of how do we do this show while not watching an entire fucking movie. And so, right now, we've decided to do one segment of an anthology film and see if y'all like that so let's see how it goes together it'll be a, a wonderful experiment and of course there's only one person i trust to remember where she's located the one the only gina radcliffe how are you doing today gina uh sorry i'm just here trying to 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 g- grab a, a a knife out of a a frantically flailing little doll's hands with your fingers this is the wildest fucking idea i've ever seen like i know she's frazzled she's she's going through a lot right but this little doll is sawing through a suitcase and her decision in her mind is like i'm gonna grab that knife you know from the sharp pointy end with my my tender fingies that is (laughs) that is not a plan even though this little doll has already like you know carved her up like a turkey, so right, and does not need that knife. It has a spear. It can. It has very sharp teeth. Like it, it is shown multiple times that it knows exactly how to get by murdering people in modern society, even though it's been magically chained around the chest this entire time. All right, so let's introduce what what exactly we're doing here. So. We've we haven't covered a bunch of anthology anthologies on the show. We've kind of had them um mapped off like you know, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. And, and Creep Show was the big uh first foray into maybe tackling a an anthology. And one thing that we learned was that the the longer it went, the more people got tired of it. <laughs> Which I think is a fucking shame. But the numbers don't lie, people. Um around around the fourth week everyone's like okay i get it creep show so what if what we did was we take uh the best the bloodiest the most ridiculous segment of a horror anthology and we just talk about that just for one quick off week episode so we all get to talk to one another but we're still talking horror but we're not going all the way through something like trilogy of terror which i gina have you had you seen this entire thing before you know i think i've only have seen this segment because i right. i did i did read the um the synopsis and i'm like mm, the rest of this doesn't sound very familiar to me it's um it's okay it's if it's okay i mean they're they are just not um suspenseful you can kind of figure out what the twist is very quickly and then like the first thing you think of is what the twist is and i don't think he i don't think dan curtis does a lot to make those segments sing 
And there's just something about this last one that's so simple and visceral um, that it has continuously freaked people out since 1972. And it's also very funny, too, because you've right. got this this little, you know, kind of racist caricature doll. Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it makes it makes it makes noises like a gremlin. <laughs> At one point, it sounds like uh, Beavis doing the um, they do fire, 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 fire. <laughs> that would cement this as the greatest cinematic achievement anyone had ever committed to film. Exactly. I I looked at the credits. You know, you know, absolutely certain this was going to be a Frank Welker, and it was not. Surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, not a Welker. It's a little early on the Welker count. He was just rising up the ranks on Scooby Doo. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> If only it had been a few years later. I mean, there's a lot of this that just feels very 1972. So a bit of background. Trilogy of Terror, not a theatrical release here in the United States, was actually broadcast as a TV movie on ABC on a Tuesday goddamn night, right? So you can only imagine. Tuesday at 8.30, this thing starts. And it starts with a guy who's fantasizing about his college professor and he drugs her, (laughs) takes racy photos of her in a motel room and then says, if we don't have start to have sex on the regular, I'm going to post these and I'm blackmailing you. And she's, she like kind of reluctantly goes along with it. And then just as this guy thinks he's finally got it over on her, it turns out she's poisoned him. And he like, and she lights him on fire in his own photography studio, and says, "You know, I do this all the time. That like, I I seduce students and kill them all over the place. I just travel from college to college to do it." And you're kind of like, uh, "Oh, okay." But where where does the scary part happen? Where's the terror in this that that a college professor is? is is just murking sexual pervs from college campus to college campus. I'm supposed to be afraid of this. I cheer this. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's not scary. It's, uh, it's you know, you go, girl. And then the second one is a riff on sisters in that there's one sister who's sexually repressed and one sister who wants to get it on with any hanging dick that happens to walk by. And it turns out it's the same fucking person. And you're like, that's the first thing I guessed. What am I supposed to be afraid of? That a lady can role play? I think I'm okay with this. And well, what we don't, uh, what we haven't mentioned yet, uh, and surely some people won't know this, but all three of the the uh, the female leads in this are are Karen Black, who is a yeah. a very unique presence in <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, uh, film and TV, yeah. and and I say and I say that in all sincerity, like there are really aren't female character actors quite like her anymore. She has, no she one has, has that face, right? She has, a, she has she has she has kind of a little wonky eye, which is yeah. which is which is interesting because it you know it, it kind of gives her the impression she's sort of kind of holding it together barely. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um. But yeah, she is a character actor in a way that doesn't really seem to exist anymore. Right. Yeah, she kind of came out of the mid-60s theater scene in New York. Um, 
And she is connected in so many ways to all of the, the film brat guys who basically take over the auteur driven seventies in Hollywood. You got Francis Ford Coppola. She's in easy Rider. She, she gets nominated for an Oscar for five easy pieces. Like you, she's very much on the cusp of that sort of seventies blonde who you can see just like popping up in movie after movie after movie. But she's a little bit frustrated. She feels like she's in a box. She's only allowed to do dramas. And so she gets approached uh, by uh, by Dan Curtis, who at this point was primarily known for the supernatural soap opera Dark Shadows. And just before this, he had directed a uh, made-for-TV movie which also has uh, an incredible, you know, lineage to it, which is the original Night Stalker. And he kind of goes, listen, I have the rights to these three Richard Matheson stories. And I think we could do what they're kind of doing in Britain with these anthology horror movies, but only you would play all the female roles. The, all the main roles would be played by you. You even get to play a split personality. And she's like, all right. And, you know, like, Hey, I'm getting to do a lot of different things. I'm, the victim, I'm the perpetrator, you know, I'm playing con conflicted roles here. And then the other part of this is Richard Matheson, who's perhaps one of the greatest idea people that has ever been in the horror genre. You can go from the incredible shrinking man to I am legend, which of course, you know, it has been made into three separate fucking movies. And of course, duel, um, which uh, is the rise of Steven Spielberg if you combine that and, uh, of course, Columbo, Prescription for Murder, which is a fantastic Columbo episode. So you have all these people kind of coming together to do this one thing. And I think this is probably the segment that they spent the least amount of money on because it's one location. You see right. her walking into an apartment building, and that's the last you see of the outside world. All of it is just the camera on her in one location and in a very large apartment for Los Angeles and a lot of doors that she can shut behind her. And basically just someone throwing a puppet at her. <laughs> yeah, is, there's this, great, there's great throwing puppet work in this movie. If you love puppets being tossed, if you're like, I love it when a Muppet gets shot out of a cannon. <laughs> this is the horror short for you because uh, it's got a lot of uh, wild and woolly arms and legs. It's, it's tossed by, by one grip to the other side of the room and back again. Uh, it should be noted that Amelia is adapted by uh, from the short story called Prey, which was first published in April of 1969 in Playboy magazine, a publication I only read for the horror short stories. Of course. And the, and the, the, the giant quaalude paperweight. <laughs> a, a surface to, to do cocaine off of Playboy magazine. So for whatever reason, black then uh, after this came out and was a rather tremendous rating success regretted her choice of being a part of it um, to some degree. She felt that she was now going to be typecast in genre roles, which is weird because like after this, she does like set the airport 74 and Nashville. Like these are not your typecast kind of roles. I, what I think what happened was 
she was such an interesting presence. And then you see her in a, in a bunch of things and people are like, I don't know, this isn't a Karen black role. They kind of put her in her own glass display case as it were, and said break only in case of Karen black roles. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that this was the cause of her downfall or being typecast necessarily. I just think, like when you need a Karen Black, there's only one person to call. And when you don't, you're probably not casting Karen Black. Well, I suspect that what was her downfall was like a lot of actors, she just got too old and 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 True. people didn't really because I mean the 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 roles got weirder as she yeah. got older. Mm-hmm. Uh it was either be her or um Sandy Dennis, who was another very similar type where she always seemed like her characters always so they were kind of hanging on by a thread. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she, she walks a high wire all the time emotionally. And this boom, and this particular segment is filled with that because. Yeah. It, it does a really good job in, in being economical with information, but mm-hmm. you, it's just enough that you, you get the gist of what's going on. And the other star, if we've introduced the Zuni finished doll, we've introduced Karen Black. The third star of this particular segment is, of course, an apartment that is both the blandest thing you've ever seen and featuring some of the wildest fucking wallpaper, wallpaper ever committed to cinema screens. It is truly a commitment to choices. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at any picture, you know, from the 70s, you're going to see some outrageous wallpaper decisions. <laughs> and this is filled to the brim with them, including a, a green shag carpet, which is disturbing in ways I, I can't really say out loud. It just, just, just think of how much like cocaine crumbs are probably in that carpet. <laughs> sure. So many loose quaaludes uh, wrapped in the fibers. And... um. But it starts off kind of all beige everything. And you're like, oh, this is kind of bland. And then every room you go to afterwards, you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, And then you have Karen Black, who is going into this. And I guess Amelia, as a character, is caught between worlds. One is she is desperate to get beyond her very controlling mother who uh, dominates her Friday nights, apparently. And they can't like shift to Saturday that I can't quite understand. And it's also very clear. They've mic'd the telephone that she has her conversations with, with both her boyfriend and her mother. And no one is speaking on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is a one woman show here. And that one woman is Karen Black who feels things physically. Yeah. She's just kind of like, you know, everything's on her face. Yes. Uh, and her face is bugging out and going wild and her eyes are twitching back and forth and her wig is levitating <laughs> over her forehead. It's, it's a lot, but. Amelia, it has turned out, has has moved out from her mother's place and she's trying to establish some form of independence. She's gained what appears to be a boyfriend or at least someone she's dating regularly. And that boyfriend's uh, birthday is coming up tonight on Friday night. 
and she has purchased him this Zuni fetish doll because he is uh, uh, an anthropologies professor of some kind. I mean, that's the only reason I could see for for buying this hideous doll for someone. A hideous doll that comes with instructions, instructions on a scroll. Now, when I say, when you hear scroll, do you think some sort of yellowed parchment? This appears to be something printed at Kinko's. (laughs) Yeah, it's very neatly done. Yes. Someone has gone through a lot of trouble to put some serious fonts into this. And what it all comes down to is this is a Zuni fetish doll is trapped the soul of a hunter and everything's going to be fine. So long as the gold chain around its chest remains in place, that way its soul doesn't get loose. And wouldn't you know it? As she doesn't have this thing out of the box for longer than five minutes says, I got to go take a bath. And that chain, that chain just fucking falls she doesn't off. Even, that's so, I love it. She doesn't even touch it. It just like, bloop. It just like falls off on its own. Yeah. It's like somebody sold it to her with like, this shit's supposed to fall off tonight. And I choose you to take it home. It's just, it's not like she's deserving of what happens here. It's just the fickle finger of fate. I yeah. Suppose. It definitely seems like preordained that it's supposed to be her. She puts it down on on the coffee table. She goes off. She takes a bath. She spends the rest of of the uh, segment in a bathrobe, the beigeest bathrobe that has ever been beige. She gets out of the bath. In keeping with the time. It wasn't going to be beige. It was going to be burnt orange. Yes. Well, the burnt orange is about to happen because this is when she walks into the kitchen, which is ordained with yellow and orange flowers and green lime green curtains and your eyes just don't know where to focus it's too much just too much and luckily the 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 segment goes wait 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 a second let me give you something plain to look at and she opens up this bare ass fridge gina there is nothing in this fucking thing like, I was half expecting a mouse to be playing a harp on an old ham bone. <laughs> Just, you know, a little, a little, a little, a little mouse family separating one bean into like four portions. <laughs> exactly. Mice cutting beans. That is exactly the reference I was going for. Um, but I chose another weird cartoon reference. But yes, that's essentially what it is. It's very bare. And she takes out one. It looks like a like a T-bone-esque steak. Cuts some fat off the cap. Puts it on, on a tray. And puts it in the fucking oven. She's baking a steak. <laughs> there's no salt. There's no pepper. There's no oil of any sort. She's just like 375 steak. <laughs> that's that's dinner, baby. So that'll that'll do it, right? You, you cook everything the same way. Casserole, cereal, steak. Well, this this happens, you know, as a result of her phoning her boyfriend and going, listen, I know we said we would go out for your birthday, but my mom is upset. So maybe we postpone. He's kind of like, it's my fucking birthday. That's what we pick up from her facial expressions. Um, <laughs> but no, she can't she can't kite cut loose from her mother and I suppose the only thing that's going to allow her to do that is a rampaging Zuni fetish doll 
with it, so, who's, who's, who, who is possessed by the spirit of an aboriginal, uh, aboriginal warrior named he who kills where it's like, wow, Richard Matheson, how long did it take you to come up with that name? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, Richard Matheson, great idea guy, not always the best thinker thrower of those ideas, but an idea machine, man. He just, he sits down at a typewriter and genius comes out on the page and you're like, should I look at this with a fine tuned comb? No, 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 no. It's a short story. We don't have time for this. And I think it works for him for the most part. Uh, the the closer you look at things, the where, the more the details get wavy. Just a little bit. I did appreciate that this apartment has a skylight, meaning this that her apartment that she is subletting is on the top fucking floor. Yeah, she. I I don't know what her yeah you know, what her current means of income is, but she's doing all right for herself. Yeah, whatever she's despite, doing. Despite everybody <laughs> you know, apparently treating her like this, you know you know, fragile Tennessee Williams-esque flower. Right. I mean, where Wherever she's working, she's undoubtedly getting barked at by a boss demanding coffee nonstop. Um, probably getting pinched in the ass in the middle of meetings and shit like that. So, um, uh, she, she goes into the living room and notices that the, the doll is no longer on the coffee table and um, starts a, a, three minute long probing examination of the couch and its surrounding environs when she doesn't so much look underneath the couch she just sticks her hand Which, underneath hell there. no absolutely not and also uh, like did no one give this poor woman a flashlight when she like moved into her apartment no no and she's not about to start lighting candles at this point or tipping the couch a little bit, I think, is another great solution to this uh, than blindly reaching under dark cou- couches, getting stabbed once and thinking, what I need to do is come at this from reverse. She hears tiny, tiny footsteps running off in a different direction. And d- like, it's you don't have a fucking cat. So when you hear other footsteps in the apartment, that's a time to panic. Yeah, at, at minimum, that is a rodent of some kind. Right. A rodent running on two legs. But, you know, if it's already cutting beans, you have a rodent problem that just goes beyond the normal, uh, you know, household problem in, in my estimation. The other thing that I noticed in this in this apartment when she's searching around for this figure is that there are other... I've called them depre- the Depression series by Hummel. It's they're, They look like melted people <laughs> uh, praying or just wishing for death. They're not super interesting. They're very bland, but they're also so bland that I worry for her mental health or whoever's apartment she's subleased. They are very depressed. Yeah, there's a, a very much a, a that she is you know, subleasing this apartment from, uh, from uh, Bob Newhart and the Bob Newhart show. Sure. Yes. Well, while he's jaunted off to Chicago or New York or just or, you know, he, he went to go, he went to go uh, open his his uh, bed and breakfast in Vermont. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. And so she hears these footsteps, but she doesn't quite. It doesn't quite register with her. And then the lamp 
in that room, which is the only light going on in the living room, goes out. And she's like, oh, the light bulb must have burnt out. Yes, that must be it. But she goes to test it and it doesn't turn on again, which prompts the question, Gina, does this ancient doll know how lamps work? <laughs> well, considering that, um, you know, the, the twist in the end is that it, it's the, the spirit that is trapped and it can possess people. I mean, right. I I assume maybe it picked up some level of knowledge over the years. Oh, so maybe it's like the hidden. It's a body hopper. Right, 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 right. It it hops it hops into various bodies, picks up knowledge. Then when those people get booked on murder, he's like, ha ha, back into the fetish. Exactly. Wait, he's like a, a little so long suckers plan. <laughs> um. Speaking of Muppets, when this when the Zuni doll attacks, I had forgotten how much it looks and acts like animal. From oh, the totally! It's Lisa. It's when I was a child, I I don't uh-huh. I don't think I saw this when I was a kid. Um, but mm-hmm. if if I seen this when I was a kid, I would have thought this was terrifying. Now it's yes. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> This reminds me a lot of the TV movie that I was obsessed with from 1973 called um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And that features a woman, they a couple and their child, and they buy this, you know, house that's, you know, selling for a bargain. Same old, same old. And like the big warning they're given is like, don't take, the wood off the fireplace. Like every night you have to have a fire. And for whatever reason, she's trying to light a fire and she takes the, the wood off of the, the, the mantle place. And these little creatures come out of, of the fireplace and steal her child. And she's desperately telling everybody these creatures live in her house and they're, they want my kid and nobody listens to her husband's like, you need to go on to medication. It's a whole bunch of like, I don't listen to women happening. And then the final night she battles these little creatures and she saves her child, but then she gets dragged down into the fireplace. Oh no. And it leaves you there. It's like, it's it's the seventies. Fuck you. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about seventies horror and like TV horror and all is that because they were, you know, restricted on how much, you know, violence they can actually show. You know, they had to. Right. They 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 had to rely on, you know, these kind of you know, you know, scary single images. Like you know, and a movie I talk about a lot is uh, Salem's Lot. Which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. there's not a drop of blood spilled in Salem's Lot, even despite it despite it being about vampires. But yeah. you you've got these you know indelible images. Uh, you've got um, you know Ralphie Glick hovering outside his brother's bedroom window. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. um, uh, the character Mike Ryerson the, in the in the in the um, the rocking chair, rocking chair, which is just like yeah. that. I mean, why watch that now? Like God. Damn, how'd they get away with this in like you know 1979 network television? Because 
I, because it is very classic horror stuff. I mean, when that is the fucking thing, man, when people talk about, oh, he couldn't have directed Poltergeist. There's no way the Texas Chainsaw guy could have pulled this off. I'm like, motherfucker, you need to watch some of his exactly. other movies. Exactly. Salem's Lot is scary. Scary yeah, as shit. Yeah, I mean, it, it was scary, when it, it just was scary when I was seven years old and watched it for the first time because my parents didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And <laughs> it is scary now. It is an extremely yeah. effective you know, movie and adaptation. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but, with, and- but with Amelia, it reminds me a lot of the, uh, the scene in gremlins when they attack Billy's mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except Billy's mom really has some defense tactics. Oh, she beats ass. And here, Amelia cannot pull it together. She just kind of flails and screams. She, she doesn't even, it takes her forever to think, maybe I should have something else in my hands. She just keeps running into rooms and closing the door. And then the the doll's like, oh, I know how to pick locks now. That's what I'm talking about, that I, I think that he, it must, you know, pick up information from jumping from body to body. Right. I do think it's funny that when she calls the cops at one point, she does stop herself from saying, oh, I'm being attacked by a doll. Like, she's just like, you know, oh, I need the police. I I," just send someone right away. (laughs) Just get the fuck over here. Yeah, she's like, she knows it's crazy. I I think that's a nice, I think that's a nice touch. Um, She finally, like, when she finally puts together, like, I need to defend myself in some way, shape, or form. She grabs a towel and starts beating it on the ground, which, again, inanimate object. It like I don't think it feels pain or anything like that. But then she's like, "Oh, I'll drown you! This motherfucker does not need oxygen." Okay, no, that you throw you not. you throw it out the window. I mean, she's right. If she's on the you know presumably top floor of, the, of you know the building she's in. That you know that thing just needs to get flanged out the window. Yes, it's a, but she can't open a window when she attempts to open a window. It's because it's a high rise. It's an it's a window she can't open. So she's really desperate uh, at various points in this. And then she has the best idea, which is to trap this fucking thing inside a Samsonite <laughs> suitcase. I love when it launches itself at the suitcase. That's such a great scene. I love it. And she snaps it closed and locks it and is like, uh huh. All right, listen, it may have sliced open my Achilles tendon and I, I'm losing a couple of toes and my fingers are falling off, but <laughs> it's contained. That's when she tries to open up a window because throw that fucking suitcase out there. You can buy another suitcase. Uh, but no, she has underestimated the power of that steak knife because not only can it uh, pick locks, but it can also saw through a fucking suitcase that men in gorilla suits can't open. So <laughs> it's really tough. I mean, it's got, of course, one of those great, you know, you know, moments where the audience is intended to yell at the screen because, you know, when she sees that it's sawing through the suitcase with this with this little knife, she decides to just come back and watch it do it. Yeah. Which I'm like, no, he's giving you a window to try to escape. Right. You, you use it. But she's like, I don't understand how door locks work. Uh, come on. Like, 
at a certain point, you kind of want her to die simply because how can you fucking be so stupid at this point? Like put a trash can over it and some books on top. You, you have got to find a way to contain this fucking thing. It saws its way out of the suitcase. She runs into the kitchen. Of course, it somehow puts its arm in between the door and the door jam. This somehow means that she can't close the door. I don't, it's incredibly strong, whatever it is. She finally, you know, it gets in and she zigzags, opens up the oven door where her steak is, is now, that steak is overbaked 100%. But she dips and dives. This thing goes over her head into the oven. She closes the door. And the amount of black smoke that pours out of this oven, Gina. And again, I, I do honestly think that Joe Dante was inspired in some way by this or because you've got that scene where where the really gross scene in Gremlins where she puts it in the microwave. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, what if that what if I recreated that? But, you know, use like, you know, you know, slime and goop. Yeah, exactly. Um, a, again, a, a movie that is relatively bloodless and yet, you know, it makes up for it by amping up the gross goo. It factor. is still disgusting. Yeah. But for whatever reason, while she's breathing a sigh, a, a 45 second long sigh of relief and you see various shots of this doll on fire inside the oven. She's like, all right, now I'm going to open up the door. And just see what's happening. Maybe I can salvage that steak. I'm hungry. <laughs> I can I can wipe off the 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 charred you know, wooden hair from the uh, from the doll on it. Exactly. And she just screams, and it goes to black. Commercial like that must have been the hardest commercial break on the face of the planet. It comes back, and she picks up the phone, and calls her mother and says, I thought about it. Why don't you come over? We'll go out on the town. And you're like, okay, that's a strange reaction to this. She goes over to the front door. She breaks the lock with her bare fingers. So now, now she has super strength. You're like, uh Oh, she, she, go, she walks back two paces, crouches, uh, knees akimbo, takes out the largest steak knife and just starts hitting the floor, chopping at the floor and bears a grin. And now she has the doll's crazy teeth. And that's the end of this. And my guess is um, many children slept in their parents' bed that night. Yeah. I mean, this must've been very effective, but he said this was 1972. Yes. Yeah. I can see where this would be very effective. Again, From a modern perspective, it's it's very hokey, but mm-hmm. but you know I'm, I'm trying to think in terms of you know when TV horror was was still you know very very you know bland, yeah, and you know how people you know, must have viewed this. I, I have to imagine that it it pretty much did a whammy on people, and then this was one of those things that they would rerun over and over again, and. I ended up seeing it as an afternoon movie, a 4.30 movie on ABC. 
So like it kind of lived forever. Um, and, uh, I, to the point where people just don't remember those first two segments exist. Yeah. If you no. talk about trilogy of terror, the only thing people remember is this segment. It's like trilogy of terror. That was just one story, right? Isn't yeah. it weird that it was called trilogy of terror? Is, does the doll like visit three separate people? The other thing that I'm sure modern audiences would have difficulty with is that they've seen a lot of this in other places. You've now seen a gremlins. You've seen a child's play Chucky. You've seen this type of thing in a bunch of other films. Whereas at this point, you know, you kind of only like, I'm trying to think there's that twilight zone with the, with the Christmas robot who shoots real bullets at the lady. Right. Um, and then, you know, in book form you have, there's that one Stephen King story where the, the professional assassin gets sent this package of little army men and then the little army men come to life and he has to battle little army men. Yeah. And then like, you know, like, like this story, um, you know, that they, they win. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and they and they take him apart in grisly fashion. Like he loses limbs and toes. And they just like they just blowed him up real good by the by the, <laughs> at the end of the, at the end of the story. It's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, trilogy of terror has had a couple physical releases. It's currently out of print, but you can find it in several places on YouTube. It occasionally will show up on a Shutter or an Amazon as well. So it's out there. This, this, um, this segment, would, this segment is on YouTube. Yes, it, uh, the whole thing's on YouTube. Yeah, several places. Um, but yes, you can just watch this, or you can fast forward to Amelia. Um, and I would highly recommend it if you haven't already, because I I think it's a it's a fun piece of ephemera, and it's twenty minutes, and it's done. Yeah, it's you know no 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 extra fat. Like I said, it gives you you know through one telephone conversation it tells you everything you know need to know about Amelia's relationship with her mother, and you know and and it kind of you know leaves it open that you know mom's going to come over and you know Amelia's going to go <laughs> on her, which would be hilarious. Yes, um, certainly. Uh, and then there was a trilogy of terror sequel. In the 90s that I have not watched and don't think I will. I did not know this. Yes. Uh, it's something that exists. Um, but I don't know that I want to engage with it because I don't believe anyone involved in the first one was involved with the second one. So uh, that leaves something to be desired. Uh, so that just about does it. Um, Josh Hollis does all of our artwork. Uh, as far as our music goes, uh, you can get this remix and our main theme and all the others. If you go to uh, Revenge Body Memphis at bandcamp.com, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at the spool.net. Uh, I have a Substack. It's Gina Watches Things.substack.com. And I am on Twitter uh, till the bitter end under Gina <laughs> Does Things. Do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can find us on all the socials, but more importantly, um, you can join us over on patreon where we're giving you three bonus shows every single month that is uh more content than you could ever possibly want no rational person would ever sign up for it but you're not rational you're listening to kill by kill uh we have chat by chat where we have a, a general q a session and just talk about what we're watching reading and so forth uh of course we have our bonus episodes every other month uh listeners get to choose what we what we watch 
Uh, last month, we chose to watch Spasms, uh, and Gina is still recovering from watching <laughs> Oliver Reed sweat that much in one movie. <laughs> pouring, pouring out of him. Ribbons of moisture. And, of course, we have our commentary series. We watched all the Halloween movies, and now we're watching the Friday the 13th. And, yes, we watched Friday the 13th Part 5 and lived to see another day. And that just about does it. Don't worry, folks. The Bonnie Count will continue. Next week, we'll be back with a regular episode. And we'll see you then for myself and Virginia. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.